If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me by my YouTube username, Kara Sui, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia, He's best known for turning a small liquor business into an e-commerce behemoth using social media. But he's also a podcaster, an advertising executive, a best-selling author, and a YouTuber. I wanted to have him on the show to talk about entrepreneurship in general and in the midst of this coronavirus crisis. Gary, welcome to Recode Decode. Kara, thank you so much for having me. I hope you're well and everybody who's listening. Yes, I. me too. I absolutely do. I think what we're doing fine. We're doing fine here Good. at home. We're getting a little stir-crazy, I think, but otherwise <laughs> things are going well. Good. Um, I actually uh, work from home a lot, so I'm sort of the original social distancer. Uh, <laughs> um, I think you do too, correct? Is that... You know what's funny? I don't, actually. I love. I travel a lot, but I, I'm actually a little bit more... I love the office vibe, the serendipity of walking into people. So this has been a challenge for me, though. Yesterday was a super productive day, and I'm like, wait a minute. And I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of wait a minute after this is all over, where they're going to have new kind of trends and new behaviors. And so it was a challenge a little bit for me, but it actually was pretty productive. Well, let's start off talking about that. Let's talk about coronavirus okay. to start with. And I want to talk about a range of topics around entrepreneurship. Talk about what you think the impact will be from your perspective from entrepreneurship. I interviewed Shamath Palihapiti yesterday. He was talking about the investing mentality. Obviously, yep. you do investments too. Yep. But how do you look at the, the landscape and where it was and where it's going and how this is going to have an impact? I was very concerned. There was a lack of practicality over the last half decade, especially. I think, you know, it's amazing. And as you know, because you were around at this time, when I kind of entered what was back then called Web 2.0, I came from being a practical wine e-commerce retailer who who really believed in Twitter and Facebook and things of that nature and kind of came into that scene. And I remember being stunned, and this was a different era that an idea could be worth $3 million. Right. You know, right. like that was that, you know, that was not what I came from. And I got into Tumblr's B round, B round at $14 million valuation. So even though there were ideas and things of that nature, it, it's obviously not what we see today where some people can, you know, kids actually believe at 22 that their business is worth $8 million on paper before they even have one. So I think we went really far in this, kind of era. And I think a lot of people are overcapitalized, don't have practical businesses, and really are building financial arbitrage 
venture capital based machines, not actual businesses. So we'll, we'll go into that in a little more detail. So tell me how you think it came to be that way. And then what you mean, that's a kind of a big, long word, venture capital loaded arbitrage machines, right? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Simple. Um, Simple idea. I think it happened because there's a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, uh, you know, macroeconomics and and central banking and money coming from Saudi Arabia or SoftBank, a little bit outside of my pay grade. I'm not paying as much attention to that, but I think in its very basic form, what I am comfortable saying is there's a lot of capital out there. There is, there has been. And when you look at the, you know, after my first three investments were Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Mm -hmm. And so I was in this really interesting place Back when, and I know you know this era, when this super angel thing was happening and when people were able to go and raise big funds. And I was at an interesting crossroads in my life where a lot of people were throwing numbers at me that I'd never even dreamed about. And I could have either A, raised a couple hundred million dollars, or B, I decided to build this marketing machine that I would use later, and that's kind of how it happened. But I remember thinking, oh my God, I can raise $200 million and get 2% just to take meetings. And, and I think that people became incentivized to raise capital. Right, right. Which was available, because where is it going to go, right? Yeah, right. it's funny. To your point, Kara, like I'm not, I'm never fully extreme to one side or the other. Like when people get mad at VCs, I understand. I really do. At the same token, to your point, the capital is so out there, it would have gone, it does go, it goes to places. And so anyway, not to go into the macro Silicon Valley and and Wall Street VC kind of DNA, I I think what ended up happening was too much money led to incredible levels of subconscious entitlement, Mm -hmm. which led to not business building, but playing a game, right? To me, it's crazy that so many kids, and not just kids, are incentivized to build something that gets to a Series C so that they can have the leverage to take $30 million off the table in their Series C or D without the business ever being profitable or sustainable, which then led to kids following that model. If I can build a scooter company as quickly as possible, and I'm not picking on Bird, I don't know any of those details, I'm just thinking about some of the things that went hyper big fast. If I can build something that has a lot of users but is not a practical business, I'll be able to never actually have to build a business that is profitable, not have to wait for IPO, and be able to take life-changing money off the table. I mean, that's what, and, and so that's the extreme, but everything in between, I, I stopped investing two years ago. You did. I did, because 95% of my meetings were with wonderful kids and people, and, and, and at that point it wasn't even kids, it was people retiring, selling, you know, all over the place, humans. Uh, wonderful people, but in my heart, I did not feel were actual, what I would call wartime generals or deeply DNA-driven entrepreneurs. They were attracted to the money or the coolness of startup culture, entrepreneurship, and I became, I felt vulnerable because I've always used my own money and I've worked hard for them, you know, like, I've not, you know, so I got scared. I don't know what else to really say. I just was like, this isn't, I'm not meeting Ev Williams and Zucks and you know David Carp anymore. This is mm-hmm. actually people that I think are number eights and number thirteens, and which would have incredible careers as executives, mm-hmm. right. but they fancy themselves as entrepreneurs because it's cool, and they're doing it because it's easy to raise five million bucks. So that started what around two thousand after the after the downturn, right in two thousand eight, or I mean, you, you had been investing before that. I started investing in 06, 07, 08, 09. I, I would tell you that it started getting weird 
quote unquote changing probably in like 13, mm-hmm. 12, 13, you started seeing that second wave of almost everybody under, it was actually more practical to come out of school and start a startup than work a job. Yeah, it was interesting because I used to, I said that around that time, I said, there's not enough uh, rat holes to shove all the money down. And and someone said, are you calling my company a rat hole? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think I just Take did. it for what it, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think I just did. Kara, I think what ended up happening, and again, there are very few people that are closer to it than you, so you know this, and I know if somebody's listening to this podcast, they're somewhat close or somewhat familiar, and maybe not to this level of detail, or this look, never looked at it this way. What ended up happening in the last five years would you, was you had a lot of people not building actual businesses. There's mm-hmm. nothing else to say. Right. And I feel like over the last year, I started making a lot more content of like, hey, are you saving money? Like, hey, if you can't raise capital, do you go out of business? Because it just felt like 10 years was a long time of economic growth, you know? And so here we are. I mean, I think I spoke to so many people a year ago who were like, listen, we've got another year and a half of Donald Trump's policies. If Mm -hmm. he wins again, it's going to be another five years of this money, short, short-term short economics at all costs. Right. And a lot of people bet on that, and I understand why they did. Nobody could anticipate a pandemic that would put everybody inside. But I think that's the point of being an entrepreneur. And that's actually what's so scary and lonely about it. You actually have to be prepared for the coronavirus. All right, so some people would have said to you at the time, I'm guessing, is, you know, you make money while the sun shines, essentially. You, like, don't worry about it. And when, when you started to talk about saving, what was the reaction? Yeah, you're not, you know, you're leaving money on the, you know, my most financially advanced friends are like sitting on cash is stupid. They've always told me that. Uh, other people, I mean, people are saying it now, like literally right now in engagements, people are like, well, Gary, if you're telling everybody to be smarter with their money right now, it's not going to turn the economy. Like this notion that you have to be on full tilt and have no practicality or savings is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been playing more in a youth, you know, my career, it's just so fun to go through a career, right? I'm sure you, I'm knowing a lot about yours and respecting it. It's funny the different pockets you fall into, right? You know, when I, over the last three to four years, I've been less involved in Silicon Valley and more in Madison Avenue. Mm -hmm, Uh, Which we're going to talk about. So, you know, the conversation was really towards my mass audience on social and a far percentage of that is in very uh, young and different pockets. I, I, you know, it's interesting. Listen, probably the most exciting part of a very difficult situation over the last two weeks, three weeks, has been, and I'm talking now probably three, four, five hundred. So this is a real number of DMs and emails, flat out, all caps. Thank you, you saved my life. Six months ago, I started to save. Instead, you know, three months ago, I changed my burn rate. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever would have thought it would have happened this fast, and I'm proud of that because I feel like I'm practical, even though I'm a loud guy and all that. I'm quite immigrant and practical. So let's paint the picture of what's going to happen. So here you were warning about savings and I interviewed uh, Chamath Pali Hapatiya and he said you need 36 months of money right now. As a business? As a business. And if you don't have it, because he's thought, you know, there's going to be a recession for say nine months and then it's usually two or three times the months to recover. Um, And he felt like if you didn't have that, you're going to you're going to be subject to sort of usury. You know, you're going to have to borrow the money or get a yeah. different valuation uh, or yeah. a very uh, sque- squeeze down. And so he was waiting for these companies to get to 10% of their value in order to invest. Um, he was talking about that. So talk about the strategies now with what's happening. And he, he, was, he was sort of doing the typical recession thing, which is two months for every month of recession. 
is how long it takes to get back. And so you have to have these large pockets of capital now. You know, it's funny, in the kind of the coasts, call it Wall Street and Silicon Valley, I think the government is going to pump in so much yes. goddamn money yep. that they're I think the, They're the shareholders. I just wrote right. a column saying the government has become shareholders. So I think that is actually going to speed up. I live a little bit more in Fortune 500 publicly held companies held accountable by Wall Street slash on true entrepreneurship lay, land. You know, I own a coffee shop, this, things of that nature. And I think both those biz, kind of businesses are going to have it a lot harder than, let's say, executives on Wall Street and the VC startup ecosystem. I really believe that. I think to Chamath's point, I think the VC ecosystem is just going to be smart and realize that valuations are going to crumble and they're going to take advantage of that. But I do think capital is going to come in. I'm far more worried about, you know, I mean, the restaurant businesses, the, you know, the SMB world, which I spent a ton of time in and and I come from, I think is going to go through a real challenge. And there's not a single one of them that's sitting on 36 months of, you know, unless they have personal wealth, you know, and like hardcore 10, 20 years of success, immigrant stuff stashed in the corner, like my dad, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> it's in the corner. It's you know, it's there? in the corner. He's, you know, they come from the Soviet Union. They were always scared. This feels normal to them. I think, listen, I, I think that a lot of people are going to be in trouble. And I think, A, you're going to have a cleansing. I think a lot of people weren't actually built to be successful entrepreneurs who were playing the part over this last two years, who I do think will not enjoy this helpless feeling will be part of uh, this, Sally and Rick right now are saying, oh my God, why did I, they're not part of the kind of industry that got laid off. So they're saying, why did I leave Procter and Gamble? And now I'm, and that's, that fear and sadness is gonna lead them to go back into working at Johnson & Johnson. Right, right. So exactly. you're gonna have a group of that. I think you're gonna have another group that's gonna truly get wiped out and actually just have to get jobs for a while. We'll probably do that for three to five years and probably get back into the entrepreneur game because that's who they are. And we'll probably be far more fiscally and overall conservative in their second at bat because now they have the scarlet letter of Corona and they're gonna be thinking very differently about that. So I think I think you'll see a group of that. I just think you're gonna see a lot of different navigations um, out there. So you gave them advice to save. What would be the advice you'd give to those entrepreneurs now to do, to the, the ones who are not just, weren't just vacationing on an entrepreneur island, um, but who really do want to live there and want to live that life? What are, the, what are some of the, the, the Good tips? Good news. Here? Good news. This is like a fun time. This is when you get to look at every expense you have. This is when you start learning what bartering is. You know, here's a fun one for you, Kara. When I started VaynerMedia, I, because I had never paid myself a lot, or let me rephrase, my dad never paid me a lot, and I didn't own Wine Library. And because I had just invested all my liquid into Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, I started VaynerMedia in Buddy Media's conference room for free. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, I thought you'd like that in some of the listeners. <laughs> what so happened to Buddy? It got sold to who? It got sold for a ton. I mean, he, yeah. actually, the, one of the greatest things that ever happened in my career, Mike, La- Mike and Cass Lazaro were sweet enough to, A, let me have this conference room, then I had a little juice in the Web 2.0 Dignation Twitter world. So they gave me some shares for a quote on their website that turned out to be a seven-figure payday for me when Salesforce bought Buddy Media. So they had an enormous exit, but I was scrappy. I was like, I can't afford rent. I'm not going to go borrow money. I'm not going to raise capital. And I think what you're going to see a lot right now is 
You're gonna see people get out of their lease and convert it into a truck. You're gonna, you're gonna see people convert into um, shipping the product out of their home by themselves instead of having a storefront. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to a lot of entrepreneurs is actually, hey, here's some good news. You've lived, if you've started a business within the last 10 years, you've lived under a, what I think is a fake environment, all prosperity. Right. right, up and to the right. That's right, and this is gonna be a great opportunity for you to build some you know, scars, which is what, a, you know, at the end of the day, I do believe entrepreneurship has a whole lot of that in it, and I don't think it should be subsidized by overvaluations and overcapitalization and 40 years of prosperity. The game is a little dirty. The other team should go on a 13-0 run and you need to call a timeout. That's the way it should be. And so I'm trying to actually, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe they're gonna start, you know, I'm hoping people stop buying silly things. You don't need a BMW. You don't need an expensive suit. Like, let's get into not keeping up with the Joneses and let's keep get into running a business practically. You get to really, I, I've enjoyed, I had a four hour finance meeting this morning. I enjoyed debating easy things like, do we need this much money in snacks? And then hard things like, do we need to cut 25% out of training because people can be home for a quarter of the year. And like, that's just not a practical expense right now, even though I want the evolution of my employees. So like, I like the challenge of that. So what did you do on both those things? More snacks, less snacks? I'm assuming you cut the snacks. We cut the snacks and we <laughs> not as, ex- and we, and we You're cut finished, the- Gary, you're finished. <laughs> Listen, they still have- No free kombucha is a big you know, entrepreneurial decision. But- you know, but to me, I'm excited about that because really there's a flip side of it. But we also then reached out to our Frito-Lay client and said, hey, and they're like, hey, when this is over, let's do something. So it, it forces you to be better. Right, okay. Look, I think we've seen this rodeo before, Kara, multiple times in our careers. This is when the best players do grow. Yes, yes. Well, Google, all the others did start with, That's with right. in, in a negative environment. That's so right. what did you do with the training then? How do you, how do you make that? How are you as a group making those decisions? So that call I had today was with the CFO. Now I have a call tomorrow morning with HR where we're gonna go line by line. I see the net number of like, ooh, that 300,000 seems like a real number. And and then, you know, you're just doing top level executive stuff because we're, you know, we're a we're a $180 million, you know, thousand person company. We're, we're a chunky company now. So I'm not in every tiny detail. So I'm like, okay, that's that. And then I'm saying common sense, right? I'm like, okay, is a lot of that training in person? Is that all virtual? Uh, and for the next 90 days, I need to make sure my employees have sanity and still are delivering for our clients. So that probably cuts out. So you can make a theoretical thing, but then I have to go in there. I mean, is that if that training's diversity and inclusion and it's in video form, that's important to me. So I don't want to cut that. I don't want to just be a CFO, CEO that's just like, we've got to cut all costs. If one of it is like, you know, just management training, I maybe take three of my best managers and let them do it virtually. And, and maybe they'll even enjoy that. So what I like about this time is it makes you look at every single expense in a much more thoughtful way that leads to a far more uh, stable business. And you can build off that foundation if you're able to weather the storm, whether you're doing 180 million or if you're doing 180,000 a year, we're all kind of, all us gals and guys are going through the same process, which is right. scrutinizing everything. So what about the incoming of getting revenues to getting your clients to keep spending? Because that's one part of it. Like yeah, trying so to keep, us, I mean, I have a conference. Yeah, I've been talking to yeah. the 
yeah. advertisers and saying, listen, here's our plan and uh, trying to be, but you know, I can't stop them from be, feeling nervous and wanting to hold back. Correct. So let's play, chop up my world. My, my direct consumer wine brand, Empathy, and my dad's wine business, winetext.com and Wine Library. Those businesses are doing fine because people are at home and they're getting delivered wine and liquor. And people why like not? Right. Why not? I have taken an annihilation on the part of my life that usually subsidizes my investment, which is my public speaking career, is basically why I don't pay myself as an executive or worry about profit at Vayner at the end of the year as much because I'm able to sustain my household P&L on my public speaking. I've lost all of it. Right. All of it. So that is a, there's no convincing the 31 speeches I have between now and September that have canceled that you should still have the conference and you should pay me. And, and for restaurant owners and for pub owners, like they can't convince their clients. On the VaynerMedia side, this is pure luck. There's nothing else to say, or serendipity. We don't have an airline or hotel group being one of our biggest clients. We mainly have food and banks as our biggest clients. And for the most part, that's stabilized. We've lost a fashion business, $2 million in revenue right away because the retailers aren't buying. So for me, you know, at some level, to your point, convincing comes through innovation you deciding to make that conference virtual and keeping five sponsors excited about it and you being excited about it is a decision and innovation you need to make. Right, right. Every one of us has to not, there is no pleading with customers. There is no guilting with customers. There's also not even any convincing with customers because everyone's on defense. There's only innovating to then compel. And that's the framework I'm thinking about. All right. We're here with Gary Vaynerchuk. That's a really smart way to think about it. We're going to take a quick break now. He's the CEO of VaynerMedia, well-known. Uh, would you call yourself a pundit, Gary? I guess so. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair too. Fairness isn't a new idea but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. We're here with Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia. Uh, so Gary, we're just talking about what you compel via innovation in order to recover. 
Um, let's talk about uh, your main business, which is marketing, um, which which you're doing. I, I I know your wine business makes perfect sense, and it's and it's doing fun. And public speaking, I know what you're talking about. I have a much smaller business than that, but I I you know I've lost lots of money doing that. Um, let me start with that one first. Do you expect that to return? Because part of your 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 thing is you do a lot of social media, you do a lot of inspirational stuff. Yep. How do you change that? Because you do do messaging almost continually to entrepreneurs with all kinds of tips and things like that, which then I, I assume feeds yeah. your public speaking. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I, uh, all the, you know, first of all, the first week I almost posted nothing, which was unheard of. I just needed to find my footing on what I wanted to talk about. And I also felt like I needed to be educated somewhat on what we were actually mm-hmm. dealing with here. So they're so not just saying, go for it. Be, yeah, be, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm up, you know, you know, it's so funny. My rah-rah is, is really grand. Like even in this interview, if you're listening, mm-hmm. like I'm yeah, very can... practical, like I'm excited and optimistic. And so mm-hmm. I understand why some people may interpret me in a certain way or, but yeah, I am optimistic and motivated and happy and excited and grateful. But in that quote on Instagram where it's like, go for it, you know, there'll be eight sentences underneath it of like, hey, are you worried about other people's opinions? Have you overvalued a prior failure? It tries to get more practical, right, right. you know, underneath that. And so, you know, the last five or six posts I put out have been much longer IGTVs, much longer, you know, it was funny to hear pundit to your point, like I, something I'm passionate about and I've often been saying over the last, really last month, I've become like, wait a minute, I don't want people to think I'm giving advice. I don't want people to think even that I think I'm right. I want to hedge more thoughtfully. I'm just sharing observations and hypotheses. Right, right. You know, off of a very narrow lane of experience. Mm -hmm. And and I'm excited when I'm wrong and I try not to go out of my lane. So that's the energy I'm trying to deploy. And I like this Gary could be dark part of your period. (laughs) Gary's secretly dark. Yes, I'm, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I think you are. I, I actually, I don't, I think. I think I, you are. Yeah, you're, I'm just, you're a lot more complex than people see when they first see some of the large typing. I think, think so. Them. I think that I was my entire life. I've had a payroll to pay with no raising of capital and no and not even a credit line in my first business. I get sad when people's hot takes on me is that I'm a blowhard or you know just pontificating or even at, at worst a snake oil salesman. To me, I've from the day I was 22 years old to today, for 22 years, I've made payroll and built two monstrous businesses in a very practical way. I just have to recognize your gift is your curse. For all the rah-rah I bring, which clearly brings some benefits, it oftentimes does bring some cynicism. And ironically, Carrie, you'll appreciate this, often the cynicism comes from people that I actually probably admire and respect the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, but that's okay, because I've always felt that the truth in the end prevails. And if right. you actually do operate, like a lot of people had cynicism around The Rock becoming an actor or Will Smith going in. Like if you can pull it off, eventually people are like, huh. So I appreciate you saying that because uh, I think you're saying dark as in like practical and like not no, just- No, I just rah, think, rah, yeah. I think it's too, I wouldn't have you on her if I thought you were in- I think that's also fair. I think it's interesting what you're doing. Like, so like the other day I was talking about management books and I was talking about someone was insulting the girl, wash your face lady, which I- I don't like what she's saying because I don't like her particular message. But I always look at people, even though I disagree with them, and say, well, what is she doing that's appealing to people and inspiring them? And so I may not, and what can I do that is more what, more what they should be listening to versus that? You know, to, but I don't, I don't insult. I'm like, I don't, oh, I, I don't that's know, interesting. I don't know who that person is, but I'll say this. One of the ways I think about that 
is a lot of my 2007, 2008 conversations in tech as I was starting to get into it, which is very intelligent, very high uh, intellect. I remember people even being comfortable saying like, you know, asking me nicely, like, are you just here for like a few minutes for your wine thing? Like, I just remember thinking, and the way I would think about the wash the face thing that you just referenced, to me, I think that when you're communicating, you can communicate on optimism and practicality, you can communicate on fear. We, we've seen in our political systems and in our business world, there's a lot of ways to go about it. And I think a lot of people can have short and long-term success. I think this is a game of legacy. For me, the reason I've been able to navigate through the judgment is somebody's gonna be right in 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and to your point, something, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't like. There's a lot of people that sometimes people compare me to that I think are complete mm-hmm. opposites of me. Mm-hmm. And the thing Who? that keeps- Who do they compare you to? Tony Robbins. You know, like, let's call, let's use Tony Robbins, right? Like Tony, like I, I've never built a business around my personal brand. I do public speaking, but both my entire career has been around, you know, actually operating businesses. Um, I don't begrudge or even have an, a, a real passion of overthinking because I've, I've interacted with Tony, I've, I've enjoyed my interactions, but his business is selling his audience. So to me, just on framework from a business conversation, to your point, you know, I don't see, I, I know that it might be motivational and people have been motivated by, and I'm sure there's people that think it's not real and things that HR for both of us. I understand that, but I think people have headline reading things, but to, to finish the thought, what I like about what you and I just talked about is in the end, these things are looked upon in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year windows and historically viewed upon. I think what's important to me is what, how I'm talked about behind my back for people that actually know me, not people that have saw 13 seconds on Instagram. And I encourage a lot of people who are listening right now to not be scared to communicate more. One of the things I admire the most about you, Kara, from afar is like you, you communicate the way you feel passionate about communicating and you'll deal with the collateral pro and con, but, yeah. you're, but you're comfortable in communicating what you actually believe. You know, one, I really admire this. I, when I watch you, you know, shoot out some tweets or write an article or do a podcast mm-hmm. or on stage, I always feel great that I'm like, I really believe she believes that. Mm-hmm. And, that I think, and I think that, and then how good you, or how right you are will be played out in history. Right, right, that's true. And I, and I think that's scary. I'm always right. No, I'm teasing, <laughs> um, no, I'm not. No, I'm willing to be wrong, actually. Um, it's fun to be wrong. Yes, it is. It's, it's not I, totally fun, but okay. Listen, so what are you, what, speaking of inspirational, what are, yeah. what are your messaging now? What is the messages you're trying to change? Because how do you adjust to the different social media platforms? You use Instagram stories quite a lot. What are you using now? What do you think is coming up when you're trying to I think LinkedIn to get- is a beast. Let's talk about something I think will help a ton of people here. Okay. The, so I think about social in two ways, organic and paid. Yeah. So let's start there because I don't think people even have that much of a complex conversation about it. So for example, as all of us who are listening that have been navigating know, Facebook pages organic reach collapsed over the last half decade. Mm-hmm. So many have veered away. Meanwhile, in parallel, if you really understand the same way really understanding SEO, if you really understand how to do long tail planning and content, Facebook ads, I would argue at this exact second, there is still no better place to advertise in the world. Mm-hmm. But let's start with organic because for a lot of people, they don't have 5,000 bucks to throw to into spend, ads yeah. in a month. Yeah. The two disproportionate, most exciting places in the world right now are LinkedIn and TikTok. Tell me why. 
because they're the only place that a listener right now that's listening to this show and she or he actually has an idea, a passion, uh, just wants to be a, a, a pontificator, pundit, or hypotheses and opinion person around something. It's the only place that they can start an account as soon as they stop listening to this podcast, create their account, post their first piece of content, and actually reach a ton of people that don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Organic reach. There is more demand of content on the other side than there is people producing content to fill it. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why is that particular platform powerful? Well, those two are happening for two actually very interesting different reasons. Let's use TikTok because it's historic. TikTok is just going through the same thing that MySpace, Tila Tequila and Dane Cook, mm-hmm. YouTube, you know, Zay Frank, me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, going right. way back. Uh, right. Twitter. Katie, Katie Perry, if you remember. Katie Perry, that's Were you right. at that party they had? I wasn't, but I remember. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook pages, Instagram, real estate. First moved to a place that was getting big. They disproportionately got a bigger percentage of the attention. I mean, you can take this back to blogging. Anil Dash, Andy Bio, Laxi.org, right? All that stuff. Um, this is a forever game. It's real estate of attention. That's what's going on with TikTok. It's exploded, there's a ton of attention, and first movers go in, it's a new platform, it has a ton of attention. Like many others, it starts historically young, and it ages up. LinkedIn is very different. LinkedIn made a product change to turn their platform into not just being a tool, but actually being a content social environment. Yes, under Jeff Weiner. yep. Correct, it was an incredibly smart move. It initially started with business thought leaders, the you and me's of the world, It opened up to the masses. And what's happened is because places like Facebook and Twitter have become places where the conversation has become heavier, I have noticed over the last 24 months that people are using LinkedIn like Facebook 2011. You're not Uh, just seeing- To share insights, to share. And random things like workout videos, family photos. Like it's become more than just business. It still skews business. But that was a feature change within a platform that had been around for a decade and still has that same dynamics. There's not as much information being posted as there is appetite for people on the other side. And Thus, what does that audience look like at LinkedIn versus elsewhere? Uh, it, it definitely skews older. And it also, one of the biggest mistakes and one of the things that I think helped me break out on all platforms, not just one or disappear after a couple of years, is that I think a lot about the psychology and the context of the platform. So for example, I think about me and you when we're in our LinkedIn feed versus me and you when we're in our Twitter feed, we are actually different versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so the adjectives, the content, like literally I spend an enormous amount of time, it comes natural to me, but it's conditioned for writing in the context of the room. Like if I'm speaking at Recode versus speaking at a CMO conference, I'm gonna say different things. Because I'm there for the audience's context. So it skews older. There is a professional sling to it. But I would argue, knowing a good amount about this audience that's listening right now, one of the big unlocks for a lot of people who are listening right now is a content creation strategy on LinkedIn going forward. Wow, that's interesting. All right, so what about TikTok? What's what to be done there organically? And then we'll get to paid. Um, I think there organically, you know, if you remember, and I know you do, Instagram, when I started going on Instagram years ago, people got mad at me because I wasn't taking sunset videos and pictures, right? I wasn't photographically talented, but I was able to, but I wanted to post what I wanted to post. And I think 
platforms change. And I think TikTok obviously is a platform that's skewed extremely young, extremely a lot of dancing, a lot of dancing and music to your point. I think already you're seeing people do tips and tricks and observations and, you know, I mean, I think if you put out, you, you Mm -hmm. put out literally face to camera, little videos about how young women should think about getting into journalism, you would be blown away what would happen there. All right, okay, I'll try. So I think people need to actually probably make the content they want to make while recognizing the audience is 15 to 35 for now. And so then be contextual to that audience, but you don't need to go do a switch video, right? You can go on there and actually talk about anything you want. I mean, I put out entrepreneurial content. I Do I talk a little bit more about- Give me an flip? example of a different, what, what you might put out on TikTok. I put out a lot of stuff around sneaker flipping, sports card flipping, garage sailing. There's a lot of 15, 16, 17 year olds who'd like to make an extra side dollar. Right. And instead Are of- Are you work- a sneakerhead? I'm not. I mean, I, I, I wear sneakers and I like like the cool sneakers. I wear off-whites and I think it's cool, but I wouldn't say I'm a sneaker head, but I would have been a significant sneaker flipper in my teens if I was right now, because that's why I was gravitating towards sports cards. There was a market and I'm completely convinced because I did like sneakers as a kid and still worn them consistently, that I would be a sneaker head if I was 16. And I very much understand the kids that are flipping. They're, they're my guess. So that's the content, that's who you're aiming at, is entrepreneurs. I, I talk a lot about you know not overstressing around tests and how I was a terrible student. That doesn't mean punt school, but be self-aware. I talk about how to find the right, your parents actually love you, but like you shouldn't blindly become an accountant because your parents want you to be. I speak to the audience. Right, right. And you find that to be more fast growing than others. I mean, like I have 3.3 million followers on TikTok. Right. Organic, not a dollar spent on ads because I was a first mover. Well, they sell ads. They're, well, they do now. They've opened up an ad product in the, in the feed. Yeah. It's like, uh, but nonetheless, I, I do think a lot of people here, uh, I spoke to somebody yesterday who sell, resells SAP software, but has started an ant farm TikTok because he's passionate about it. And he's got tired of me yelling about doing TikTok. And in a week, he has 70,000 followers on the platform and already has ant farm companies offering him financial opportunities. And he talks was, about his ant farms? Talks about his ant farms. Wow. It's a very creative. I would watch that. I Karen, watch it's a very creative. That. I, I think a lot of people in this audience, again, I'm not kidding. and, and I'm, I, I believe you, and I'm probably, you know, I'm being generalistic, but I know that a lot of people in this audience that are listening right now have dismissed or continue to dismiss TikTok. And I would say two things. In a time where escaping the news and maybe having a smile, and in a time where maybe leaning into a hobby, I could also argue that TikTok has incredible upside for a lot of people in this audience. And I definitely think people that are trying to sell anything to somebody under the age of 40, they need to look at it and start to become educated. Okay, all right, what, what happens then, what's happening on Facebook and Instagram organically? You would say Facebook has sort of fallen off a cliff because? because the ad revenue has been able to catch up mm-hmm. and the amount of consumption has declined and gone into groups and or things like Instagram. So it's just a supply and demand curve. And so, you know, that statement I made earlier, people are starting to figure out right now, Facebook is the best ad platform in the world. And so you're getting real money in there. Not, believe it or not, not the VaynerMedia world. The Fortune 500 still overvalue television, but you're seeing mid-market and well-funded startups really figure out Facebook properly. A lot of people 
are listening right now, they're like, no, Gary, you're wrong. Facebook ads are not working as well. I would counter and say, no, it used to work so well, it didn't matter what picture and video you put in, you would just crush kind of like TikTok and LinkedIn organic. Now you actually have to be great at it. You have to be great at it. But if you're great, great at it, ads. but if you're great at it, and that actually means not just understanding the targeting, but understanding the video and the picture on the other side, actual marketing and advertising, uh, you can get results that you can't imagine. And so- But organically, what's dead. the problem? The, the problem Why? is Facebook- Because everyone's gone elsewhere. Facebook's supply and demand curve within it has created, and they push things like Marketplace and face and obviously their TV platform in there and so live. And so um, their, their priorities are not organic pages and they don't have the demand to fulfill all their priorities. And so organic is the loser in that game right now. I would argue that Facebook will fear what Facebook has shown me over the last decade clearly is their ability to adjust. They, they lack emotion that they are now more about Facebook groups than they are about newsfeed. They just don't like, they're, they're kind of like, I think they do a very good job with that. And so um, I do think organic will grow back again in Facebook one day because I think they'll view that as a lever for growth. But for now, it's not happening. Instagram has declined by 20 to 40% on Why? average. Why? Ads, ads are coming in. Right. Ads are I mean, coming the, in What people over. don't care, what people actually are really interesting. I'm fascinated by people's um, lack of thoughtfulness around the fact these platforms are aligned with the end user. They don't want you to leave. So they're sh- like the algorithms, uh, the ad products, like if they're not doing well, they stop showing up. Like, like all they care about is you and me living on there forever. And so mm-hmm. the ad products work extremely well. We know how to use it. And Instagram's ad product is working extremely well. And more people are throwing money at it. The amount of demand has not capped, but is at a, a, probably at its apex, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens when there's no more growth of actual more consumption and there's growth in ad sales? There's a decline in order. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, it, you know, but I would argue how bad versus the alternative of Hulu or reading a book or a magazine or watching TV, I think one of the things I think a lot about is what's the alternative? Right, what are they doing? All right, we're here with Gary Vaynerchuk. We're talking about marketing in this age. Uh, we'll get back, when we get back, I want to talk about other things that his clients are doing and what he thinks are going to become popular going forward. We'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Julia Furlan, and I'm the host of a new series called Go For Broke. It's about those moments in history when everyone goes a little bit overboard for a big idea. In our first season, we're going back in time to the late 90s. It's a time when computers are coming into every home and dot-com companies are popping up everywhere. Everybody wanted to stick dot-com on the end of something. Cups.com, glasses.com, <laughs> you know, shoes.com, pets.com. And as the frenzy grows and grows, all of a sudden, the dot-com economy falls off a cliff. People lost their houses. People got their cars recalled. They literally banked their futures on it. 
This season, we'll explore what made the dot-com bubble and what could warn us when the next one comes along, if we're not in one already. Go for Broke from Epic and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. We're here with Gary Vaynerchuk. He's the CEO of VaynerMedia. We've just been talking about what's popular and what's not popular. TikTok, LinkedIn, which is really interesting organically. From an ad point of view, where are people going? Facebook. You're like, Facebook is sort of crushing it in that regard. You know, you're catching me at a good time because I felt very one-dimensional for about 18 months because I was struggling to get excited about anything else besides pre-roll YouTube based on search query and Facebook's ecosystem. That's Facebook and Instagram. However, I've got a slew of things to tell you about now. One, Amazon Fire Stick. Amazon has a product where you've got 50 million homes now with it. People are watching TV on it and you can buy pre-roll and mid-roll ads based on the things that people bought on Amazon. As a marketer, geez, if I know somebody bought pet food and I, have a, I don't have a pet food client, but if I did, and now they're watching you know, whatever show they're watching on fire and the pre-roll is around pet food, that's getting into Facebook-like data. And that's even better than Facebook because it's buying data. Right. So, you know, you know, they're using it to sell toilet paper, essentially. Correct. So that is very exciting. So I think that's an emerging one. Hulu, by Q4, is going to have a self-serve product in their world. So buying pre-roll and mid-roll on Hulu, which I think is going to be a great product and is going to be a better product than TV commercials because, again, it targets. you'll be you can target. Right. You can target. And so I believe that the Facebook DNA of advertising is gonna take over television, that all OTTs are gonna be bought the way we bought Facebook, more targeted. And let me explain this real quick. So if I'm gonna target you know, African-American females on the coasts that are potential with an income level and I'm trying to sell them yoga mats, as you can imagine, Kara, that would also then mean that I'm probably gonna star African-American women and families in the content. Television doesn't allow you that to that level of granularity, right? So then there's another product I'm super excited about, which is Spotify is launching a really cool product where you can write a script for podcasters to read as a pre-roll mm-hmm. and you put it into the ecosystem and then there's CPMs against shows and they just like literally as a stay-at-home podcaster can say, oh, I'll read that ad on mine and get money. Mm-hmm. And again, that can be targeted as well. So I think. To me, live disc jockey reading an ad, radio, 1950 to 1990, was one of the great ad products. Right, right. And if you look at Howard Stern, if you look at others, like real sales, when you have a great disc jockey or a great host reading an ad. The fact that that's coming potentially at scale in a Spotify world, I actually believe that is very powerful. So how would that work? So so you would buy, give me an example. Uh, I am a exercise equipment. I write a 30-second read. I write it. I upload it into a Spotify ecosystem and pick exercise, health and wellness categories. And then everybody on the other side, who's got a podcast, who meets the requirements, we don't have all the details yet, but this is the theory. Um, If I'm Gary's exercise podcast and I've done it for a year and I haven't been able to make any money, but I can grab that and I'm getting $30 CPM and, and whatever my audience is, I get a check for $287 the next week from that that's, and I get to pick if I want to read that. That's really amazing. And on the advertising side, for example, so the biggest innovation I've created for my dad in 15 years is this wine text thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do that with wine text. The wine text thing is a 
We text a wine offer, it's Groupon. Ridiculous deal on a wine. It's, and you just reply with a number. So there's so little friction, it's exploded. I'm, gonna, I'm just looking for broad awareness for that. So I'm gonna let any podcaster read that because half the audience is drinking wine. So I don't need to target that. And I think that's gonna convert. I think that's right. interesting. Come- interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you think about what the investments that Spotify is making in podcasting, for them that's a good one. It creates. That's a- why they're doing it. Yeah, one hundred percent. They're gonna. They're why gonna, be in music? They're gonna arbitrage. They're gonna say, "Wait a minute, we could become the radio advertising ecosystem." And for mm-hmm. me, uh, I just think a lot of small startups are gonna find real and b- big businesses are gonna find real opportunity in that Spotify product. So Spotify, Amazon Fire, and Hulu, uh, and now TikTok's ad product is been launched as well, that's a lot of innovation for ads in, in content and marketing that's gonna really, really be disruptive and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, you were just saying that your clients that were still indexing on television still. They are. How do you look at that? And you sell it to them, right? Because you'll do creative for it. We do, but we, we begrudgingly do. Like we are, we, you what know, do you just I- go, Ugh, All right, I'll take your money. <laughs> it's a, it, I'm in a, no, but I'll, I'll really talk it through. And I think if you stumble across a CMO that works with me, like, listen, when we saw, listen, at the end of the day, this is not Wine Library or VaynerMedia. I don't get to choose. Mm-hmm. But I am, with all my energy and conviction, trying to convince the incredible CMOs, the Linda Boffs, the, you know, the, the Eduardo Luces of like, hey, I'm telling you, this report you're using to justify your television would be laughed at in Silicon Valley, which it would, Kara. Mm-hmm. It's just making wild assumptions of actual consumption of television commercials. You're using no common sense. And look at these long form videos on YouTube and Facebook, how many views you can get for the same cost. So yes, we have clients that we have commercials for. However, I'm proud that the majority of the content we do is either day in and day out creative for the social web or these long form videos. One that a lot of readers, uh, listeners here might know is we did the Dwayne Wade Budweiser piece where he was, everybody cried. It was like hundred million views. Was, you know, like those are three minute quote unquote commercials, but when you have three minutes on the internet, you can actually tell a story instead of being confined to 30 seconds in between a TV show in 2020, that's crazy. So how do you look at new new streaming platforms as an opportunity? Like, and, and say Quibi, Quibi, which yeah. is coming. So Quibi's coming, I had a meeting with them the other day. It was good to see Tony Conrad, I haven't seen him in a while. Was he there? Yeah, he's there. Um, uh, oh, wow. Well, first of all, they sold like these, big, you know, between Meg, Mm-hmm. Right. And and that whole ecosystem they in and Jerry like they just had so much leverage. They sold these huge fifteen or ten or million dollar packages to like fifteen advertisers for the first year. I think as long this is where this is gonna get a little advertising world nerdy, so I apologize to everybody. The biggest issue is that the creative agencies that make these commercials are trying to make television commercials for Hulu and Quibi. Yeah. And then they suck. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have a new breed, and this is why I think we're gonna grow, and I think a lot of people are inspired by what we're doing, and some two young gals at ad school right now are gonna start a firm and be great at it and maybe better at it than me. I think if we have creators that know how to make quote unquote commercials for the mentality of a Hulu and Quibi uh, watcher, you have a much better chance of actually achieving something that everybody would enjoy. And I think people enjoy watching Super Bowl commercials and I think that we can get into a better place in advertising where we're not just checking the box with crap creative. Let's be contextual to a Quibi user. Let's think about them. Let's think about them actually watching this on the bus because they're continuing the short form video. And how do we as 3M or Nike or Nissan make a commercial that makes sense to that mentality? 
Now, a lot of people are crapping all over that platform before it's launched, which it was launching now, I, I guess. Not a very good time. Or maybe a great time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, people you know, are there's busy. a lot of yep, yep. My biggest thing with Quibi, I don't know what the current crapping on them is. My biggest thing is I think a lot about it in the way that I think about Tinder and Instagram. And let me explain what I mean. Tinder has declined because Instagram DM has become the place where the youth is dating. Mm-hmm. So another platform is just scratching the itch of what that first platform was trying to do. Quibi's biggest vulnerability on this concept of short form creative is does YouTube actually just already do it? Right. That's going to be the rub. Like, is YouTube fulfilling that short already. form? Correct. It may or may not, or something else, or just videos on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. Or maybe because they're paying a lot of money for these short episodes, uh, maybe not, I don't know. But that's gonna, to me, the vulnerability of Quibi is, does that, it's this promise of short snackable episodes. Is that already happening? Or do people not actually care about a difference between 10 minutes and 24 minutes and they're gonna watch On the Block on Netflix on their phone for 24 minutes because they just like that show better. But what I do think Quibi has in their favor, Kara, is the one thing all these platforms have is the breakout hit. So like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards is a real variable to why Netflix is Netflix. Right, exactly. Right? All these or platforms, HBO, HBO. That's right, or any that's right. So all these platforms, Hulu, Netflix, you know, HBO, I would say that Quibi, if God willing for them, have a, who wants to be a millionaire, has a survivor, has Love a- Love is blind. That's right. Has, you know, a Breaking Bad that America wants to watch, then you suck everybody in. So I think the- Interesting part about being a platform that does original content is you're always one show away. Queer Eye changed the trajectory of Bravo. Yeah, one show, hundred percent, right? Yeah, they they have to be able to do that. But there's a lot of competition now for that kind of thing, including from YouTube. So let's finish up talking about uh, about two things: YouTube, and then where you think the most innovative thing will be going in marketing. Is it AR, VR? Is it something else inside the car? Um, I always think car marketing is going to be really interesting. Actually, you, you kind of stole my thunder because you're right. smart. Okay. It pisses right. me off. So <laughs> I'm proud of you, though. I think voice is the next frontier. I'm spending an uncomfortable amount of time. I believe that voice is the, that the, the Alexa and the Google Home is the next iPhone. Mm-hmm. And that the next complete explosion in innovation and excitement is going to be what people build on top of the voice device when the voice device is at scale in a half decade. Mm-hmm. Meaning what? Meaning I think, you know, I made my real great business decision when I decided the iPhone was going to be the most important thing in the world. And that's what mm-hmm. led me to Twitter and fate, right? All, right? Right. Sure. I believe that the home voice device is going to have a killer app. There's going to be some app that is built on top of Alexa that is going to capture America's attention because it's going to make the stay at home person save 24 minutes a day, whatever that may be. Uh, or entertain them. I don't know. But I actually think right now is an interesting time for Alexa and Google Home to innovate. But there'll be a killer app. Everybody has one. And Americans, one thing, not Americans, humans, one of my biggest proper bets of my career was that people pick convenience over everything. Speed. Mm -hmm. It is faster for me to say, hey, Alexa, order me a pizza right now than to open up my Seamless or Uber Eats. Right. Mm -hmm. Google has a huge advantage because it has my calendar. And if I can say to 
you know, Google, book my meeting with Kara tomorrow on podcast. And then it's talking to your calendar and we find the exact perfect time to do this podcast. So there's a lot of things I see on the horizon. I think the biggest thing in marketing will be voice dynamics. A, podcast consumption's through the roof. And I just mentioned one of the things I'm most excited about, advertising on Spotify in that way. And two, when we start getting into app culture on top of, because you remember the iPhone, the original, I remember in the first six months, the number one iPhone app was that, it looks like you drank a beer, right? Yes. It wasn't, yeah. oh God. We weren't on, remember, that. we weren't doing ways, <laughs> we weren't doing I Instagram. I want to get that back. <laughs> I love that. And people forget what really happens at first. Right now we're in that zone. There's not a lot of meaningful apps on those platforms. I, I go through them all and I don't find but them But I do believe that there's two youngsters right now who hopefully are listening to this who are on the verge of creating something, or not youngsters for that matter because I'm seeing a lot of innovation out of different age groups these days, is gonna create, she or he is gonna create something really remarkable and so I'm just very bullish. I believe in nine years I will be interacting with a voice device at scale. At scale, okay. So when that moves to autonomous vehicles, and they would think of something way far out, if you yeah. had to think where, you know, is it will be in marketing embeds in your head, it will be uh, in cars, in spaceships, wherever. Don't say spaceships, please. But where would you say the, the, the opportunities in AR and VR, is it just too far away? I think it's too far away and I was, I talk about- Same thing with the cars. Cars where you, don't, where you can look at things. 5G is a game changer, mm-hmm. you know? And we haven't felt the effects of what that level of no lag time means on innovation. So I think autonomous cars become far more real with 5G at scale. I think that, you'll find this interesting here. I sometimes get credit for like seeing, I, I, I don't do that well. I actually don't have any exciting predictions. What I'm great at, and that became my calling card I've come to realize is when it happens, I'm fast, disciplined, thoughtful, and I'm a first mover. I don't know that Malibu or Turks and Caicos or Hawaii are next, but I'm the person that buys up the beachfront property or buys up all of Dumbo. I'm very good at that. I'm a very good fast mover when it becomes obvious to me, which has historically been anywhere between six months and two years earlier than everyone else. That's what my skill set is. So I don't actually have a lot of passion in predicting, um, am I spending time on voice? Am I spending AR and VR time? Quite a bit. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, quite a bit. Cannabis, quite a bit. I'm looking at things all the time. Voice is the most practical thing in my face right now. I I still am shocked that Amazon and Google's Super Bowl commercial isn't the following. Hey America, for as long as this game lasts until the clock hits triple zero, if you go to our website right now, the voice device is free. I think there's so much value in this war between Amazon and Google and Apple, I guess, is a third player. Sort of. Sort of, to your point, uh, that I think that there's a huge value, kind of like losing money on the Nintendo or losing money on the yep, Razer. Yep, yep, yep. I'm surprised that they haven't basically done a hardcore give everybody in America the product for free because then they control the attention. Right, absolutely. So I want to finish up. So a lot of these things talk about reaching customers to get them to do things, to buy things. Yes. Trust is going to be very important going forward. You know, trust in terms of information. You know, a lot of these tech companies have been badly hurt because of their prevalent disinformation, addiction issues, the hate speech, everything else. You'd imagine that a company like Apple would prevail here in this idea. They've have, that this would be a company that could be a trusted company, but is they, who will be trusted going forward? I'm trying to, I was trying, someone asked me, which country, company do I trust? I'm like, I guess Apple, 
although I can show you 10 ways they violate my privacy too. Um, is that important or not at all? You think the, the, pot, the top's off the pot and it doesn't really matter. Number two. To young people. Number, Number two. Number, doesn't matter. And to old people. Let me explain. Yeah. People talk a big game. People are warriors on Twitter about privacy, about Me Too, about Black Lives Matter, but then interactions, they don't live it. Right. I don't think people actually care about privacy. I, I, I try to have very detailed conversations with very smart people about, you know, usually outside of our industry, Kara, mm-hmm. about how they're so mad at Facebook and I, or something else. And I try to really ask them, like, are you mad at Target? Because they gave up half of America's information. Are you mad at the IRS? Because they, I mean, you want to, I mean, everyone's been so compromised. The reality is people can't even speak. I mean, they're like the Russians. I'm like, do you even understand, like, all, all the hyperbole that's coming out of your mouth. Like I try to walk them through the pattern of like, if Facebook knew everything about me, what they put, are you, you know, what is put in front of me is predicated on everything about me. Are we mad at Fox News or CNN for airing the content they air when we self-selected in? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're all more than welcome to delete the app. I mean, do you know how many people wrote boycott Facebook as an Instagram post? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think privacy is a wonderful uh, macro subject matter. I am never naive not to think that something catastrophic could happen that then changes the tone and tenor. But at this point, with the way murders, kidnappings, and banks stealing, somebody stealing your money, but you not getting it back, because all three of those, God willing, thank God, are in good places. The reason we don't care is the ramifications are not, the ideology upsets us that we're being watched or I'm being manipulated, but the damage, I wanna see root beer ads. I like root beer. Mm-hmm. I wanna see Jets ads. Like, I keep telling a lot of my friends, I'm like, the Russians didn't make you vote for that person. You know, you did what you wanted to do. Like, we don't, I, I and by the way, Well, there is, too, there is such a thing as manipulation and it works without you realizing it. Of course, of course, but it- Meet but, my but, mother in Fox News. <laughs> correct, but, but let's talk about something else. We're all doing that. Right. Like that is omnipresent. That's not like the right is bad, the left is bad. Like that's just, that's 100%, everything. 100%. That's a human being. I do think where the nervousness is, is, is if it's one company run by one person with enormous influence. There's never been anything like Facebook in the history of the world. One person. It's like taking William Andrew Hurst and mixing him with John D. Rockefeller and mixing him with Andrew Carnegie and mixing him with Thomas Edison. Like it, that's the problem. I mean, I, I think that th- that Cheryl and Mark would blush if they heard you say that, because I don't <laughs> think it's to that extreme. And I'd also say this, I would argue if you look at the media consumption landscape and time spent, that the Rupert Murdochs and the CBSs, that there were three old white dudes normally. Yes, I know. I don't like all, them either. Right, well, that's that, this is the point. And we brought it up slightly earlier. Life is about alternatives. I argue with my smartest friends that the internet, though creates subcultures that many of you don't like, and many of I don't like, also is different than the fact that three humans, I, I would argue that Rupert Murdoch in 1997, in, 2000, in, two, in 1999 had more power uh, than Mark Zuckerberg. And I would argue that Fox and CNN have more power right now than Facebook. I would actually argue to that point. Hmm. I'll tell you why. And they do attack them. It's interesting. Game probably sees game, but go ahead. Well, first of all, the mainstream media is very smart about this. 
their biggest vulnerability is the growth of internet companies taking their revenue away. So the demonization of them is at all costs. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that yeah. makes sense. I understand that. I would just say that I laugh that we try to get platforms that are neutral, empty. We're trying to get them to police. Meanwhile, depending on what channel I click on, those are actually being pushed down and controlled narratives period end of story. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm still of the camp that the manipulation that happens from mainstream media, both left and right, is equal on a good day to what would happen on a platform that, I mean, when AOC asked Mark, I was, I like them both, by the way, uh, I was like so frustrated with his inability to like answer her question, like to guarantee truth on Facebook, why don't we guarantee truth in the New York Times and the Washington Post, CNN and Fox? Mm -hmm. Like this is a platform. Yep. I do think that that he goes out of his way to, they do manipulate the platform or make decisions, not manipulate, they make decisions on that platform every day and then say, we don't make decisions. We don't want to make decisions when they do it all day. By the way, by the way, no different than the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, Fox News. And I don't think you'd hear it from them saying we don't make decisions. They say we make editorial decisions. If he would just say, yes, we make decisions. But but wouldn't you agree with me that they that they don't because they're not the ones writing it? Like, I, I mean, it's a really interesting question. Does work, like, are, are should we oh, be I think they Let make, me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Make platform decisions that are just like editorial decisions. But actually, I think that's different, Kara. And I think that Squarespace and WordPress are getting a free pass. Not quite the same. I think they, they, I think they say Alex Jones can't be on it. This person can't. They, by making their rule, then they should have no rules whatsoever and just say, let it go. That That's, I agree. By the way, you know, they that, made, the minute they made, the minute yes. they kicked Alex Jones off or blank or whatever they did the week before that is the day they became editors. And so I, they, by the way, I respect that. And I agree with that. And I think that that is an extremely valid point. I think that to your point on that specific example, they're at a point where they are getting such macro pressure from both sides Mm -hmm. that they're making decisions on censorship, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But again, I will argue that the blogging platforms Mm -hmm. are the infrastructure for information. And I I, I think this is a comms cycle, right? Well, we'll see. I think it's just we don't know what they are. They're they're not they're not you know Mark actually said it. He goes we're we're not a telco, but we're not we're somewhere between a telco and a publisher. And then you're like, well, what is that? Because then you the, have to- the question is whose responsibility is that? That's is right. That the, That's is that the exactly. government's? Is that Mark and the board, or is that us as human beings? Right. I I think all three to your point, and I would like to see the world take on more accountability. I've watched former friends use Facebook as an excuse for disgusting behavior. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think we need more accountability. Like, we should require ourselves to be educated enough. I'm proud that I watch Fox and CNN and The Times and The Post and Facebook. And, like, I want to understand contextually, and then I get to decide. And it's my fault. I don't, I don't like, if we're, like... I think you you jumped on this, and I think we agree on a lot of stuff based on going through this combo. If we're talking manipulation, we that's omnipresent, right? That's just the entire all of it. Well, it all is, it. but it does, but it does manipulation does work. I mean, you can look at again. It sounds like an anecdotal thing, but it's one hundred percent true. To hear my mom uh, repeat Fox News lines, which were Trump news lines, 
and it working. And I, you know, I've studied propaganda. It was my minor at college, actually. Karen, so I fully believe I, I, I couldn't. I, I was big, like, wow, that really yeah. works. You know but, what I mean? And but so, you know, but you know, it works. But my point is, it works in every angle. Right, but I don't know accountability. If she could resist it. I'm not so certain she can resist it. But that's self-selecting. Like, yes, I think we need to start blaming ourselves. Sure. Because she could have turned on CNN and decided to go that route. She could have yeah. turned on. Yes, but there was a moment where there was a moment when that happened. But then it, it's over once you get pulled into it in a way that's really mind bent. I do think. Well, it is. let's talk I, about I it. Can, let's talk about it. I'm going to give you make, uh, this is a real right, person. Okay. And you just make pretend and we'll wrap up. OK, I because uh, it's a very we're having a very powerful, important conversation. And I'm very passionate about it. And I'm sure you are as well. I know an individual that after 9-11 completely changed their politics because fear led them to change their, to go much more conservative, right? Right, all Muslims are. Yeah, Uh, understandable, super fear. Her son almost died, Mm -hmm. uh, left the World Trade Center 14, I know the whole story, guys, these are friends, 14 minutes before it happened, shook, she shook, she completely changes. She also then uh, goes in that rabbit hole for 15 years, then completely changes her point of view when President Trump did that thing where he made fun of somebody who was dis- right, that moment made her now, now she's completely the other way because she has a disabled uh, child, grandchild, and that became the moment that made her go the other way. That's what people do. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the twitchy nature of the whole thing makes you vulnerable to switching that quickly, which is Well, she abrupt. didn't switch that. No, I'm just saying too quickly, but I'm saying that it's easy to manipulate people on a mass basis in an amplified and weaponized way as never before by all the parties. I would would argue that that's not true, and I'll tell you why. Because I think everybody, Walter Cronkite decided. He really, I mean, the amount of opinion forming based through the filter of Walter Cronkite. Now, we may just like Walter Cronkite more. Right. right. But like, I don't. Fair, fair, fair. Gary, what, what, you I gotta quick. go soon. But no, yeah, I know, but me. I gotta say this because this okay. is because I know your audience is epic. I think what we just talked about for seven, 10 minutes mm-hmm. is powerful. I think accountability could rise mm-hmm. as a counter to lack of accountability. I've been tricked by Facebook. I've been tricked by CNN. Right. Like, I think there's right. a chance of accountability. So I, and this is maybe I'm a little too optimistic. You know, I think accountability could rise off of this era which would be very nice. I would agree, but I think they have to design them in ways that don't make them quite so addictive, quite so. It's like sugar. Like, I could stop eating that cake, but there, I love the cake, and also there's addictive qualities. I think it's just a little more complex, and if they it's made very, it very I clear. mean, free market versus government involvement is the yeah. most complex issue. We're all working yeah, through absolutely. it. absolutely, 100%. Awesome. Awesome. Anyway, Gary, this Thank has you. been great. I truly appreciate it. It's been a fascinating, I don't think you're a blowhard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just a, say I just think I'm a loud Jersey boy that curses, and I respect I why people's mind. first take might not be the right way, but I'm very confident where this well, ends up hey, in 40 years. I'm, I'm just a bitch, so don't worry about it. Anyway, <laughs> well, thank, I'm a you huge for fan. Coming. thank you for coming. Thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Eric America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Gary, where can people find you online? I'm Gary. Everywhere. Yeah, Gary V E E, everywhere. Thank you. Everywhere. If Everywhere. you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Squadcast.fm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.
HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO needs so much more. Start streaming now at HBOMax.com. Hey, 